It was a new beginning on Saturday with Justin Fields taking the field for the first time in his Bears debut. It was also a new beginning for us because we're closing the chapter on one co-host and we're going to be welcoming a new one here in just a moment or two. But what's up, guys? Welcome into the Fireside Bears podcast. You know me. I'm your host, Usaid Koshu. You can follow me on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram at Usaid Koshu. Follow my co-host, Sam Stevenson, on Twitter at Shy Sports Sam. You can check out my work as well as Sam's work on the Fireside Bears website or the Bear Report. It depends on whichever one you choose, but you should be doing both. We've actually got a new co-host in the house that I mentioned just a moment ago, but we're going to be bringing on Joseph Herf here, a.k.a. Joe Herf. He's going to have a weekly segment during the season called Herf's Hot Stakes. You can follow him on Twitter at Joseph Herf NFL. What's going on, Joe? Uh, we're excited to get this thing started with you. Welcome. Hey, thanks, Sam. Yeah, I'm real excited. Um, I've never done really a whole podcast co-host. I've made a few appearances, but I'm really glad to get this thing going. All right. Well, if you make any mistakes, you're gonna automatically get roasted by me. I hope you know that. So, thank goodness. No pressure. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Welcome this on, is, man. Yeah, this is the roasting's gonna come from the guy that one looks like Marty McFly and two has the how to train your dragon thing. I'm serious, Joe. If you've ever seen Back to the Future, and we'll get into Bears talk in just a moment here. We have about an hour's worth of stuff lined up for you guys. But if you've ever seen Back to the Future, doesn't Sam just look like a carbon copy of Marty McFly? Yeah, if he showed up to the next podcast meeting uh, in the full outfit, I would absolutely love that because it'd be a carbon copy. Well, that is, that is a tall order there. <laughs> See, we're going to the Bears game on October 31st, and it's going to be Halloween themed. So I was joking with my coworkers. I was just like, I'm just going to show up dressed as a Starbucks barista. Um, but Sam needs to dress up as Marty McFly. I think Joe could definitely pull off the Mike Ditka look. But anyways, we're going to be getting into some Bears talk here. Listen, guys, school's back in session, so go check out our sponsor, Audacia Sports. They got some great stickers at a really affordable price. Get your Justin Fields sticker pack and send your son, your daughter, or all your kids back into school with the best stuff possible. Or just get some stickers to look really cool in general. Okay, Maybe, I don't know, you'll be like the cool soccer dad, like, who has the Justin Field sticker, like driving his kids to soccer practice every morning. But guys, this was quote unquote news this morning. Akeem Hicks did leave practice today. No word on what it is. And what's weird is the bears always have their Matt Nagy press conferences 30 minutes prior to practice. We didn't know this was going to come, but when we see Matt return to the podium on Wednesday morning. I think we're going to have an update on Akeem Hicks, but Joe, were you surprised at all when this news broke that Akeem suddenly had left practice? Uh, so I saw a tweet from like a smaller account that I'd never heard of, and it didn't get a lot of traction. And it, from what it sounds like, it to me, it sounds like that it was more of a COVID thing, if I had to guess. I mean, randomly just Nagy talking to the trainer and then Akeem Hicks walking off. Um, it doesn't sound like it's injury related. And I'm going to guess it's not a trade or a release or anything like that. It just sounds like it was more of like a COVID precaution. In my opinion, I could be wrong, but that's just kind of what it sounded like to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I am of the opinion that um, I'm hoping that's what happened and I'm hoping that's the case. Um, I'm trying to track down the, the original source tweet from that. I, I, again, to your point, it was an account I had never heard of either. Um, And then Obviously, I think Brad Biggs tweeted about it as well as some other bigger accounts uh, in the Chicago Bears respective regime. But 
I mean, I'm hoping it's a COVID related situation, maybe a false positive, um, something along the lines. Obviously, I don't think we should totally factor out that potentially Akeem is maybe being traded. I don't think that's very realistic, but it's definitely not something to completely factor out. There are reports of it uh, earlier in the offseason. There was definitely some, some traction around it. I, do I think Akeem's going to get traded at this point? No, but I definitely don't think factored out of the equation entirely. But I'm definitely leaning on the side of that this was a COVID situation sort of thing. See, I have mixed reactions to the whole thing specifically because, and we'll get into Jason Peters in just a moment here, but I have mixed reactions to this whole Akeem Hicks thing because 50% of it is the fact that you could say, okay, it was just supposed to be a lighter day for Akeem Hicks. I mean, I think that what are the what are the practices before the preseason game against the Dolphins? I mean, all these veterans take Danny Trevathan, Khalil Mack, Jimmy Graham, they were on load management days and they were just getting a lighter work day. Now, I think that if Akeem was really on a load management day, Matt Nagy definitely would have disclosed something about it in the press conference this morning. But also the other half of this entire equation is that, Sam, you talked about Akeem possibly being traded this offseason. But you know who was at Hallis Hall last week when the Dolphins were in town? It was Drew Rosenhaus, who is actually Akeem Hicks' agent. Now, Drew, for a fact I know, represents a number of players on both the Dolphins and Bears. So maybe this was just an agent kind of getting out to Hallis Hall and just seeing how both of his clients or clients from both teams were doing. But the fact that Rosenhaus has been at Hallis, and it's actually on Rosenhaus's Instagram, I think two or three times now this offseason, he's met with the Bears brass. And the goal is for Akeem to possibly get an extension because he wants to finish his career here in Chicago. I mean, he loves this city. He is a fan favorite. But ultimately with that, you have to wonder, maybe it was something contract related. Maybe the Bears are saying, hey, look, we have a move that's coming up here over the next couple of weeks, but Akeem, it's going to require you taking a pay cut because we are getting to that point in the offseason now where every single year what tends to happen is Ryan Pace extends one player right ahead of the regular season. I mean, we saw it with Charles Leno Jr., Kyle Long, Eddie Goldman was another one right after that Khalil Mack trade. And then... Last offseason, we thought it was going to be Allen Robinson. It wasn't Allen Robinson. But the point is, is that one of these vets is probably going to get extended. It was Cody White here in 2019. So it just really makes me think that something isn't right here. If it was COVID, it's a major problem because he was around all these guys. And now you have a whole bunch of defensive linemen, as well as you could argue anyone on the defense that's deemed a close contact. Yeah, and I think, you know, Obviously, I don't want to say like COVID's the best case scenario because, again, if Akeem for some reason did test positive, you have to consider how many guys are going to go down to close contact. Bears have a preseason game in a few days. So, like, how does that factor in? Um, and in terms of the contract extension talks, the only thing I'll add to that is just it's going to be one of those situations where the Bears are going to have to pick and choose. And, and they got a lot of guys in the defensive side of the ball that are going to get paid pretty quickly. Roquan Smith is due for a big payday. You've seen the middle linebacker draft class and, and the market that has become the middle linebacker class these past few days with guys getting paid a lot, a lot of money. So Roquan's due for his day as well. You also have to factor in guys like Bilal Nichols. As he deserves a contact a contract extension over someone like Akeem Hicks. So I'm hoping it's nothing serious. I'm hoping it's neither COVID or a potential trade, but obviously that's pure optimism coming from me at this point. 
Yeah, it's one of those situations where we're just going to have to monitor. And like I mentioned, I mean, Matt Nagy is going to be speaking to the media on Wednesday morning. So you definitely know it's going to be a point of question. But Sam, I'm going to kick the tires to you on this next one here. I mean, look, Saturday, right after that game ended, Jason Peters' agency pretty much tweeted saying that he's signing with the Bears. Now, for a 40-year-old offensive tackle, this wasn't the name that any of us expected. And I'm not saying I expected the Bears ever to sign an offensive tackle because Pace and Nagy have developed, or I should say an older veteran player, because Pace and Nagy have always been of the opinion that we're going to roll with whoever's on our roster, no matter what the case is. This is certainly one of those more, one of the more surprising signings, but after doing some digging, you have to keep in mind is that about a decade ago, Nagy was with Andy Reid in Philadelphia as a quality control coach. Juan Castillo was there too. This signing was more about familiarity more than anything, and Peters is going to end up in Canton. Right now, it seems like a really intriguing signing, although it's a bit polarizing because you could have had Russell Okun, who's six or seven years younger. Yeah, I'll be completely honest. I had one of those like who moments when this happened. I was literally like, who, who is this? And then I remembered, did a little bit of research. And I'm like, oh, I've heard this name before. Like this guy has been in the league for as long as probably I've been alive. Um, in terms of depth, I'm always of the opinion, if you can bring in veterans, no matter what the situation is, do it. Uh, you can never have too many good offensive linemen. Yeah, he's, you know, he's pushing to into his late 30s, 40s. But again, the guy has experience. He has versatility. And until the Tevin Jenkins situation gets resolved here, I'm of the impression of having a guy in the left side of the line who knows the position well is never a bad thing, regardless who's playing quarterback week one or in the preseason. Um, my microphone almost fell over. Excuse me. Um, again, the age is definitely something that is a factor, but it's a nice addition. He has the connections with the coaching staff. Um, Joe, I'm going to bounce it to you after this, but, but in all honesty, it was one of those kind of like surprise moments. I, I was so polarized by the preseason game that I didn't even realize who the guy was for a moment, but in terms of the, what he brings to the offense, it's versatility, it's experience. The bears have a lot of younger offensive linemen who can learn from him. Guys like Larry Borum, guys like Tevin Jenkins. So again, I'm of the opinion. You can never have too many good offensive linemen, regardless of the age gap. Yeah, I'm 100% with you, Sam. Like, as long as you have good offensive linemen in your system and on your team, I'm all for it. I don't care what the price tag is. As long as you can afford it, I'm good for it. And this entire offseason, I've kind of been clamoring for the Bears to bring in a veteran offensive tackle, whether it was Morgan Moses when he got cut or Russell Kung as well. And a few other guys uh, uh, like Rick Wagner, who was on the Packers and the Lions. Um, I didn't think Jason Peters, honestly. I thought he was either going to retire or I thought he was going to ask for too much money. So... When I saw that price tag that Ryan Pace got him for, I was pretty happy about that. And when I was sitting there, so I was on the shuttle bus actually coming back from the preseason game and someone checked their phone and announced, hey, everybody, Bears signed Jason Peters. And the entire bus went nuts. Like everybody was so happy that the Bears had got a new offensive tackle finally. And I know a lot of people kind of are talking about this as like a uh, slight to Tevin Jenkins that his injury could be more serious, but I think this is more on the Bears knowing that Jenkins is not 100%. And also, a lot of people are talking about Jermaine Effetti as well. Uh, he's on the pup list, and he hasn't done anything either. So I don't understand why people are only talking about Jenkins when both are starting offensive tackles are out. I mean, it just makes sense to go after another tackle, right? And like you were saying, Sam, at the very least, he's a mentor to the young guys like Barome and uh, Jenkins and any other young guy they have on the offensive line, tackle, guard, center, whatever. Yeah, listen, I looked up Jason Peters 
kind of NFL career. And one of the major things I came away with was that he's been in the league since 2004. So you're talking about a player that easily since Ryan Pace has been here and since Matt Nagy arrived in 2018, what's happened is that both of these guys have brought in Peters, who is the most experienced offensive tackle that the Bears have ever had. And again, this is since Pace and Nagy got to Chicago. I mean, the second most experienced guy was Kyle Long. Now, Kyle had a phenomenal 78-year run in Chicago, but you know what? Jason's a lock for the Hall of Fame. Kyle Long, as much as he was a fan favorite, is not a lock for the Hall of Fame. But I also think when you look at this, you have to keep in mind is that Jason... Peter's play has declined over the last couple of years. Is he the best player in the league that he used to be or the best at his position? Absolutely not. He's 39 years old. He's going to be 40 years old in January. So in about five to six months here, but it's just one of those stopgap signings that you're totally okay with. And what the bears are going to do here is really ease him into action because ultimately they're not just going to throw a guy out there. Who's kind of been sitting at home, the entire offseason to be like, hey, you're ready to go. And maybe there's an Alec Ogletree type, you know, resurgence here for Jason Peters in the sense that he comes in, he impresses right away. And then that's actually going to give the Bears time to go ahead and really take it slow with Tevin Jenkins. And Joe, you're exactly right. I mean, everyone's so focused on Tevin Jenkins and people are so focused on Jenkins, I think mainly because we have to keep in mind is during draft season, this was a player that was being labeled as a surefire top 20 pick. I mean, we look at the 2021 NFL draft. Who were some of the top tackles? You had Panay Sewell, who was in a class of his own. Then you had Christian Derisaw, Rashawn Slater. You had a couple guys in tiers two and three, like Eichenberg, um, Jackson Carmen, Walker Little from Stanford was another one. And then all of a sudden, there was Tevin Jenkins. And when Tevin slipped and the Bears traded up for him, everyone was like, it's a great move because this was a player that was, again, a considered to be someone that was not even going to get past the 20th overall pick. So with Tevin, it is concerning. Now with Ifedi, people really don't give a damn because I think last season showcase, Ifedi's just above average, but he's never going to be like the home run hitter. And Juan Castillo has praised Jermaine Ifedi multiple times this offseason. But again, Jermaine is who he is at this point. So it's just like Jason's your most experienced guy. And quite frankly, this you as much as I love Cody White here because he's still the undisputed leader of this offensive line, and this is his group. This entire unit has not had that veteran presence since I want to say the days of Roberto Garza, Oil and Cruz. I mean, the one other thing I'll add with the Jason Peters signing is you bring in a guy with versatility too. I mean, something that Nagy I think has has stressed in the past couple seasons is. They want offensive linemen who can move around a little bit. I mean, you've seen guys like Cody Whitehair, <clears throat> excuse me, guys like Cody Whitehair move around. You've seen guys like Alex Bars move around all the time too. So, you know, if Peters is obviously in a position where he can potentially move from tackle to guard if the Bears need him, obviously in this time that we need an offensive lineman who can just provide consistency sake, that's another bonus as well. I mean, again, it's not even just about finding depth at tackle. It's about Hey, you also need to coach up the guards too and help out our guys at center. I mean, we're we're riding a lot on a guy like Sam Mustafir who has had a good offseason, but you know, again, he's an undrafted free agent and definitely struggled last year a little bit. He wasn't perfect. He definitely stepped up when we needed him to, but there's a lot riding on a guy like that too. So when you bring in a guy like Peters, you're bringing in a guy who just he knows the game and he and that experience alone is valuable. But the biggest thing, and and I know obviously we forget about Jermaine Ifedi sometimes, but at the end of the day, 
Tevin Jenkins was drafted to be the left tackle. The Bears let go of both their starting tackles this year, and Jenkins was supposed to be the guy to replace Charles Leonard Jr. It's a lot of pressure for a guy who played very few games in college at left tackle and is still dealing with an injury right now and may not see a lot of preseason reps. So it's it, at worst, it's overpaying a guy who's too old, even though his contract isn't crazy. At best, it's just depth for the offensive line. And after last year, I'm again, I'm emphasizing it again. Depth of the offensive line is never a bad thing. Yeah, one other thing I'll add to actually is I was looking through the average age of the Bears offensive line, all their players. Didn't realize I didn't realize that Jason Peters is a full 10 years older than the next oldest Bears offensive lineman, Cody Wire, who is 29. So the fact that they just don't have any basic, I mean, they have veterans, obviously, but the fact they don't have like any age on this line is not only promising, but it's also not good in a way that they do need a guy who has all this experience that can help teach these younger guys that are in here. Like, I mean, we forget that James Daniels is still 23 years old. I mean, Lachavius Simmons, who came in last year, he's 24. Uh, Elijah Wilkinson, who is considered an offensive tackle, that's a swing tackle for us that could be considered a veteran, he's 26. Like, we just don't have any age on this line and no veteran presence. So this was only not only needed for the veteran presence aspect of it, but also from a talent standpoint as well. This whole offensive line, it's just, what is this? It's the group with really low risk, but very high upside is I think what the Bears offensive line is. But when you look at that game on Saturday, I mean, the Bears never really allowed a sack. And I went and did some digging. Now, the offensive line was average okay and i'm gonna say it was average simply because when you look at justin fields who did have five rushes for 33 yards i mean his mobility let's just be honest really masked a lot of the woes on the offensive line but then again it just seemed like every single time the bears handed the ball off there were issues and we'll get into studs and duds in just a moment here we're gonna bring that back but sam what were your general impressions from the game so from a fan's perspective, being back at Soldier Field for, I believe, the first time in what they said was like 600 days, more or less, that experience was unbelievable. Joe, I know you were at the game as well, so you can attest to that. But but I just being back there and and again, the general excitement around Soldier Field, especially when Justin Fields entered the game the first time as Bears quarterback. I had never felt a feeling like that before at a professional sporting event or at really any sporting event. I mean, I had a brother who went to Michigan and I went to a couple of Michigan football games and, and obviously like that was an experience, but I don't even think it compared to what I felt last Saturday. I mean, to be able to watch Bears football again was a great feeling watching it live, but but obviously the most polarizing part of Saturday was Justin Fields. And again, I know obviously we talk about him a lot, but like he's a lot to talk about. What he did on Saturday was pretty impressive considering the situation that he had. I mean, that third quarter was a fun third quarter. That was a Bears offense that was fun to watch. And I understand that it's preseason. I don't want to get super excited. But from a fan perspective alone, Saturday was a great time. Yeah, I haven't had that much fun watching Bears offense and Bears football in a long time. Like like, like you were saying, Sam, we haven't, seen, we haven't been to a game live in, in, since 2019, week 17. And to actually be there in that environment, like like you were saying, I, I've I've been to multiple Bears games. My family season ticket holders. Um, I was even at the 2018 game when the Bears beat the Rams on Sunday Night Football, and it was a close scoring game. And the Rams were the best offensive football, and the Bears shut them down. And that was an amazing experience. But when Justin Fields took the field 
And even though the stadium was half capacity, basically, like I think it was 54%, the stadium absolutely erupted. And I have not, like, that energy that I felt from that crowd was just absolutely unbelievable. So, yeah, from a fan's perspective, that game was absolutely so much fun. I never thought I would have that much fun in a preseason game. And just as a little recap of the game, I was – I wasn't super impressed with that offensive line. Um, they did look very well. They were graded pretty well by Pro Football Focus as well. I believe fifth highest, if I remember correctly, looking at the grades. Um, but again, yeah, like you were saying, uh, you said they were doing a very good job of fields moving throughout the pocket and rolling out to kind of mask their issues. And they were kind of getting the ball out quickly, at least when he was sitting in the pocket. And when he was rolling out, he kind of held on a little longer. So they looked better than they did. But from overall, the team did look very solid. Uh, the wide receivers got kind of locked early on at the the second stringers. And then once the third stringers came in, they kind of got a little more separation when the Dolphins secondary, we got a little more exposed because their, their secondary is deep. Um, overall though, I thought it was a lot of fun, good game. Um, I really didn't think anybody played horrible either. So it was kind of hard for me to pick duds, uh, but overall just, yeah, great time. Really good game. Look, I was, Impressed with the energy that the Bears brought, and that was one of my biggest takeaways, is that both sides really seem to be, and that means offense and defense, they really seem to be in the game from the get-go. Now, Justin did start off a little bit rough. You saw the ball placement. You talked about, well, we had conversations on the timeline about how, okay, well, if it was a Darnell Mooney or an Allen Robinson, you know what? Those balls that were perfectly placed that were batted down, those likely would have been catches. But I also think that the other half of the argument was that Justin Diz need to put a little bit more air on some of those balls. And again, that's totally okay because it is all a learning process. Now, this was just one game. I mean, I'm not going to put too much. This one game does have a lot of people excited. That's totally okay. But also, at the end of the day, now what Justin needs to do is continue stacking practices. But hey, listen, Joe, I'm going to kick it over to you on this one. And then, Sam, let's go to you, and then I'll round it out with our standouts. But, Joe, who is your biggest standout from Saturday? So my biggest standout was probably Rodney Adams. Uh, He led Bears receivers in receiving yards and targets. Uh, He caught four of six passes for 57 yards, averaging a little over 14 yards per catch. Um, he just showed up as a reliable target for fields. Um, he was always getting open. I remember one play really distinctly. I mean, obviously he had that really good catch where he basically mossed the corner on him. That feels a little under through, but he made an incredible catch. But uh, another really good play that he made and that fields made was field was rolling out to his right and fields kind of baited the defender. in. And as soon as that defender bit, it opened up Rodney Adams and Rodney Adams just kind of sat and waited for the ball to get to him. And it just, they just seem to have an incredible connection. So I feel like he played really well. Obviously I'm not going to say Justin Fields because that's kind of the basic answer, but Rodney Adams is a reliable target. He played really well. Yeah. I mean, I, I uh, I'm obviously also not going to pick Justin Fields because again, that's the easy answer. But uh, my, uh, one of the guys that stood out to me was uh, Kyrus Tonga. Seventh round pick this year, uh, overlooked pick in my opinion this year for this draft class. I mean, he was a guy that I didn't really do a lot of research on. And I was kind of like, a, this seems like a shot in the dark here. But I got to tell you something. He he created a lot of pressure for the Bears defense. I mean, the Bears defense aligned as a whole on Saturday played really, really well. But there's a play in particular that stuck out to me. And it was on one of the early possessions for the Dolphins. Uh, Alec Ogletree had just gotten beaten coverage. The Dolphins were driving and they were around the red zone. It was third down. And Alec Ogletree had a great tackle for loss. It was an incredible play. The stadium went nuts. But something that I noticed on the play was that play happened because Tonga was able to create so much pressure on that side of the ball that whoever was in, I don't even remember who was carrying the ball for the Dolphins, literally had nowhere to go and went right into Ogletree's lap. 
plays like that don't get looked at in the big picture of things, but that's what you need from a guy like Tonga. And that's what you need from this defensive line. I don't need this guy to have 10 sacks this year. I need him to be able to create pressure like that because obviously we have Eddie Goldman coming back from COVID from a, taking a year off. And we're hoping that he's the same Eddie Goldman that we all once knew, but that's going to take some time to transition him back to full speed. And even when he is back, having a guy behind him who can play the way Tonga can play that's a big deal. And he was a guy who I just saw get after him. He was out on the field. And, and, and obviously that play in particular was incredible, but had to be my standout guy for the defense, especially. So let me ask you guys this, because I did notice that entire play because of Kyrus Tong, and it was a difference between six points and three points. But do you guys legitimately think with Eddie Goldman having been out of football for 20 months now, they... There, we shouldn't necessarily be hitting the panic button or worrying because Tonga did so, so much promise in the preseason. Or no, what I should say. Yeah, I'm not worried at all. Like, I mean, Tonga looked, as Sam was saying, Tonga looked great. And I feel like he's NFL ready, like right now, um, at, at least as a rotational guy. So I think he's going to take a lot of pressure off Goldman to come back in 100%. I mean, this Bears defensive line has so much depth again. I, even with even with Tonga, like if you don't factor him, him, like this Bears defensive line, the reserves look good on Saturday. Um, they were getting after it. They were creating pressure. They were blowing up gaps. Like they're doing their job. They're doing their assignments. And, and I think defensive line is one of those positions where you can, if you can get after it early in your career, like you can find yourself a spot. I, I think of Bilal Nichols rookie year. Um, and I remember he had a particular game against the Patriots where it was kind of like his breakout game. And now we consider Blau Nichols a key part of this Bears defense, um, which he is. And I think the same thing can happen for Tonga as a rotational guy. Like he doesn't need to be my starter, but if he can come in in situational packages and just create pressure and, and help these guys get some, you know, get some air back into their lungs. Uh, this is a defensive line group that's going to be nasty this year. So I feel, I feel very good about this guy and I feel very good about this defensive line with or without Eddie Goldman. I'm obviously hoping Eddie Goldman gets back so we can have just another nasty piece on this defense, but I, I feel a lot more relieved after Saturday. See, I'm, and I said this on the podcast back in March. I mean, when you lose Jay Rogers and then you lose Bill or not Bilal Nichols, I'm sorry, when you lose Jay Rogers and then Roy Robertson Harris along with Brent Urban, that's three big pieces of your defensive line over the last couple of years that are no longer with your team in 2021. And then you sign guys like Angelo Blackson and Mike Pennell and you bring back Mario Edwards. And then there was all this uncertainty surrounding Eddie Goldman throughout the spring and early portions of the summer. My big thing was, okay, is the Bears defensive line really going to take a step back? Because you have to keep in mind is that Akeem Hicks is also so what 32 or 33 years old now so he's getting older too those are things you have to factor in but it was a Sam you're right it was a front four that just looked really good on Saturday and as we get into week two and week three of the preseason we're gonna see more and more of how good this defensive line really is but getting back to our standouts here before we look at one player that was absolute trash I mean the one standout no one's talking about is six round pick Khalil Herbert because the attention in the running back room goes to David Montgomery and Damian Williams and Damian Williams had a great game on Saturday by the way the production may not necessarily affect it but you could see when the ball went his, was in his hands he was going to be impactful but Herbert sticks out to me because Matt Nagy mentioned him on Monday morning as a guy that really stuck out Herbert averaged about 6.3 yards per rushing attempt and had about 3.7 yards per reception. So when you average those numbers it really goes to show that this is a player that I think is going to become a big play 
threat moving forward and defenses more and more as Herbert continues to stack these strong performances, all of a sudden Khalil Herbert's going to be a guy that you're going to throw out there onto the field and be someone that defenses are going to need to account for on every single snap. Yeah. And I mean, another thing too is like, I'd love to see him get more special teams uh, reps. Look, give him more looks. I, he, I think he had maybe one return in Saturday's game and then they were primarily using Jordan Lucas and uh, Javea Johnson. Herbert's got downhill speed, man. That was his specialty in college. Like, I would love to see him get some more looks at returns. I mean, I think you arguably invested into a guy like him, number one, because it's another piece in the running back room with the uns- unsure uh, report with Tariq Cohen. We don't know how soon he's going to be back. So having a guy like Herbert as the running back three is a nice piece. But I also think you brought him in to be a special teams guy. I think that's the one thing I want to see on Saturday. Um, I'd love to see him get some more looks. Uh, I, I think he can be a real nice piece of special teams because the Bears are without Cordell Patterson this year. So I don't know. That's the one thing I would like to get a little bit more looks at on Saturday. Um, but uh, I mean, you said everything else to your point. Exactly. Yeah, completely with you. Um, Khalil Herbert did look, he looked very good. Um, another thing too, he displayed was really good vision. I remember one of his, runs explicitly he ran like kind of not into the line fully but he was about to like hit the line then he used his vision to bounce it outside and gain extra yards and with that vision that downhill speed that he has he could develop into a really good kick returner like he might not be a stud right away but he's he's showing flashes just touching the ball just running the ball naturally right now that he could be a really good kick returner at the next level and he's actually been in training camp getting some of the reps with the special teams so When we look at his possible role, and I wrote about this on Empire Sports Media, I think Herbert's role in year one could just be a kick returner. But if he shows at worst his floor is a kick returner, but his ceiling is being a regular part of this offense. But Joe, let's go to you here. I mean, who was one player that absolutely stunk it up for you on Saturday? Like I was saying earlier, it was kind of hard for me to pick people. Um, I felt like everybody played decently well or to their expectations, but... um, Easily for me, out of any player, Javon Wims. Um, I already was really low on him heading into the season. Thought he definitely deserved to be cut after last season. And then he messed up uh, Justin Fields' first drive. He had a false start early on. Um, he got, I believe he had like a 23% snap count, and he had one target. Uh, didn't get a single catch. He tied, uh, I-, I believe, only three other people got a target and didn't get a catch. One of them was Darnell Mooney, who I believe played like three snaps. The other one was Jester Weah, who got cut. So I just really don't think he played well. I don't think he should be on this team anymore. I just want him gone. That's all. I, I, I have very few times gotten physically angry at a sporting event. That was one of those moments where I was so mad because here's Justin Fields, the first time he's ever going to be driving down Soldier Field, right? And what the hell happens is part of my language. False start from a third-year veteran wide receiver. Javon Wimps has been in this league more than a few years. That's something a rookie should do, not not a guy who's barely on this roster right now. I mean, I thought he was going to get cut and traded before Anthony Miller did. And look where he is now. And, like, I don't know how you can defend this guy at this point. Uh, He's going to make me angry. I I need to stop talking. I'm done. I can't you got me wanting to talk more about it. I'm, I'm so I, I've already been so heated after last off after last season, his multiple mistakes, and then this just. So I like you. I was physically angry. Like I was absolutely livid. I wanted him cut right there on the spot. I wanted him to take his pads off, take his cleats off, and just walk home. 
See, Wims annoys the hell out of me specifically because, and I'll get to my trash player here in just a moment here, but Wims annoys the hell out of me because it's like, if you know that he's dangling by a thread essentially in terms of making this roster, when you look at the Bears wide receiver room this offseason, they've brought in guys who have speed and can win with separation. That includes guys like Demir Bird, Marquise Goodwin. I mean, Allen Robinson, Darnell Mooney are two guys that have traditionally done that throughout their careers. But then also when you look at Wims, I mean, he just does not have the speed or the ability to separate. And he just runs a very limited route. Tree. And I feel like with Wims, what it is, is that we're nowhere. We're at the same point in terms of who he is as a player in 2021 compared to where we were when he first entered the league in 2018 as a seventh round pick. And there really hasn't been any substantial improvement. And I said this, I was just like, look, if you're going to bring in, if you're going to create competition, which by the way is something that Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace do every single year, why are you wasting a roster spot on Javon Wimps? Why would you not let this seventh round pick go that you have no guaranteed money tied up to? And if you're going to create competition, bring in another player, bring in a speedster they you know what wins with speed but also might have average to above average hands or someone that you can develop into eventually turning into a great pass catcher that's my big thing but my trash player is another special team stud that should not be on this roster and that's ryan null now ryan null is a preseason star because when he had the 39 yard run on saturday i was actually trashing him in another group chat right before and i'm like why is it every single year in the preseason this guy inflates his stats and his production by having one big run i mean a couple of years ago in cincinnati i think it was the 69 yard run and everybody seemingly thought ryan all was on track to be running back three but look when you have three rushing attempts for 43 yards and you average 14.3 yards an attempt and then 39 of those 43 come on one plate that's not necessarily being really good and the issue with ryan is that he has a background being a tight end because he did play that at Oregon State. And yeah, he knows this offense, but he's done nothing to really warrant getting an opportunity to get meaningful reps in the regular season. And again, if the Bears believed that Ryan Nall was legitimately ready to make the jump towards being a rotational running back and not just some special teams guy or a guy that gets reps because some other player is down because of injury, then they, I don't think they would have drafted Khalil Herbert or actually signed Damian Williams this offseason. I think they would have been content with what they had in the running back room. But Sam, who was the one player that absolutely stunk it up for you as I end my rant about Ryan Null? I just want to say one thing about that before I do my guide. Does anyone remember uh, Lamar Miller being on this team last year and Ryan Null getting more reps than him? Didn't Lamar Miller play in like one game and Ryan Null played in like a lot of games, including yep. as the third string running back. <laughs> yep. I think he had that 69 yard run. Uh, so that's his, his cement and bears history. Uh, but moving on from that, uh, my, my dud, my, uh, my guy who just did not play well, Duke Shelley. I saw that guy get beaten coverage multiple times on Saturday. And Duke Shelley was a guy in 2019 that I was like, this is a steal of a pick. He was a, a high rated player. Uh, had a good draft class grade. I think he was like a fourth round grade or something as a player. Duke Shelley ain't it, man. He he is. He started his NFL career hurt. He hasn't been able to really truly edge himself into a position where he could play. I don't know how many reps he actually got on Saturday, but but my God, that guy, he, he is. Yeesh. And this cornerback room concerns me. I've said it before on this podcast. I think Kendall Wilder's taking some really nice steps. I think there's some other pieces on this Bears defense. 
uh, in the secondary that are good, but Holy cow, man. Duke Shelley is just a, he's an open gate for wide receivers. And I don't know if there's any way to say that he can play the slot or play outside. I just, I feel more comfortable playing a guy like, I don't know, I'd rather see Thomas Graham Jr. get those reps. I just don't think Duke Shelley should be on this roster. I think there's better secondary pieces on this roster. I think there's better younger players. I think we're seeing guys like Tez Taper. A uh, guy in the Lions who was considered Tabor, I think is how you say his last name. I don't know. But some guy who was, everyone thought was just a, a terrible piece. He's been making plays in training camp. Uh, Marquis Christian, uh, Artie Burns is back. Trey Robertson. There's just, there's better veteran options here. I, I just don't see why we're we're keeping a guy like Shelly around. I think there's better pieces. I think that's why you drafted Kendall Vilder last year. And look where Vilder is now. He's probably going to be the cornerback too. So I don't know, man. Shelly is just one of those pieces where it's just disappointing. High hopes for him, but I don't think he deserves to be on this roster at this point. I will have to disagree. Okay. I, I won't I won't take too long because I don't want to take too much time on it, but he was my second choice to be my stud. Oh um, no. Yeah, he was my second option. I, and it was I thought I mean when I was watching him play just from like I went and rewatched the game and kind of watched individual reps a little bit. I didn't take too long to do it because I didn't want to don't have a lot of free time to do that kind of stuff. But I thought his press technique was extremely impressive. Like he, he was very good at pressing off the line. He was very physical. Um, he wasn't like physically out of control. Like you kind of see uh buster screen get at times. Um, his zone physicality was very solid. He never got too aggressive at getting out of his zone and jumping passes or anything. Um, he had an enormous pass deflection that actually forced a field goal on third down. He that would have that would have been a first down. Um, he led the team in tackles. He literally was flying to almost nearly every ball. Um, he <laughs> and then it just seemed, when I was rewatching it, I kind of tried to focus on the quarterback because normally when you watch the quarterback, that kind of tells you how corners are doing. So normally it looked like most of the time the first read that Brissett would take. When throwing to uh, his wide receivers, he would look at whoever Shelley was on. And it seemed like every time he looked at Duke Shelley, he would be covered. So he would look off the first read and go to somebody else, either running it or throwing it to somebody else. Uh, but like I said, physical and aggressive, but under control. And it just seemed like, and he played both outside and slot corner. So it, he showed his versatility there, which kind of adds his value to the position. And again, I'm all for seeing more people play, but... Um, I would totally be fine with him playing a little bit next game and just kind of locking up that slot corner slot, but uh, and seeing other people kind of fight for it as well, like Thomas Graham Jr., Trey Roberson, other guys like that. Right, I'm gonna have to go back and rewatch the game because you just schooled me in a ton of areas. Um, <laughs> I'm I did not realize he was our leader in tackles on Saturday. Huh? Very interesting. Okay. All right. I'm gonna have to go back and rewatch some parts of the game there because everything I saw from him, I didn't love. But all right. Okay. No, actually, when I was watching the game live, too, I definitely agree. But then I rewatched it, and I was like, okay, you know what? He actually wasn't as bad as I thought. It's just slot corners catch a lot of flack because, you know, they're the press guys, they're the guys who do doing all yeah, the dirty yeah. work. So, Man, Joe's first episode, he just literally put me into school. Holy cow. All right. All right. That's going to give me a good reason to watch some some tape tonight. Okay. All right. See, I and number one, right? Duke Shelley's always going to have a special place in my heart because he was actually the first ever interview I conducted at Bears training camp when he was a rookie. So that's why, you know, I should probably get a Duke jersey, but we'll see about that. He has to make this team first. But what's happening, I think, with this entire slot wide receiver, slot wide receiver, wow, this slot cornerback position for the Bears is that if you look at the first rep of the game, the Bears trotted out 
Jalen Johnson is cornerback one, Vilder is cornerback two, and Duke Shelley is cornerback three and in the slot. So that's basically a couple second and third year players right there that I think are ready to hold the fort down. And this entire cornerback room is hungry and ready to prove that they belong. And if you remember Duke coming out of Kansas State, I mean, he was a player that really had... pretty good amount of upside. I mean, he wasn't a household name by any means, but he is a guy that being about 5'8", five, 5'9", five, he does play bigger than he is, and he is the prototypical size for an NFL slot cornerback. Now, I certainly think that after sitting behind Buster Screen as well as Kyle Fuller for a couple seasons, he's ready to make that jump. But his performance on Saturday with the playing time that he got was still encouraging because, again, he hasn't necessarily been a player that's been a regular starter over the last couple seasons, but he's made the most of every opportunity. And so now moving forward, what will happen is this is – can Shelly stack up enough reps throughout practice, but then also in training camp, or I'm sorry, throughout week two and week three of the preseason to warrant holding off some of these veterans? Take a Desmond Trufant, for example, and Artie Burns or a Trey Roberson, which, by the way, side note, Trey Roberson is not going to be making this roster. Neither should Javon Wims and Ryan Nall. But guys, Let's talk about this because it's what everyone's talking about. I mean, Monday morning, Matt Nagy goes ahead and he talks about how, hey, listen, we're going to increase Justin's reps and getting Justin reps with the ones, which by the way, side note, please be very careful about what you see and read out there on social media because every single beat reporter that I talk to that's at practice every single day has pretty much said, and by the way, and this was on Tuesday, August 17th, right? So I talked to people that are covering practices with credentials at house all every day. Justin got like one or two reps with the first team offense today. There was tons of misinformation being spread. So be careful about who you listen to. You should be listening to this podcast. One, because we know what we're talking about. But two, also, because I said this That's about me, apparently. A- <laughs> Well, I said this about a week and a half ago is that, you know, Justin was going to get ready to make a push for QB one. And Joe, let's just bounce it right over to you. Do you think Justin's ready to make a push to be QB one in the week one starter against the Rams on September 12th after his strong performance on Saturday? Yes. And to keep it simple, I've been saying it since I, since he, I I believe for the past like month, since I saw him myself in training camp, since I've been seeing the reports, you can't not start him week one. I think he's ready. I think it's going to be a tough first contest, but why not put him out there? I think if it's going to hurt his development, and if we're 100% certain, certain it's going to hurt his development, don't do it. But I think he's ready, and I think he should do it. I mean, I am. there is no part of me that thinks that Matt Nagy does not want to play him. And I think the biggest thing is I'm sure he's feeling the pressure to maybe not start him right away, but... It, why not is kind of my biggest thing. Like, like you don't owe Andy Dalton anything, first of all. Like, you already paid him a contract that he may or may not have deserved. I'm not trying to downplay Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton has had a very good NFL career, but you're giving the guy $10 million for one year, and you don't owe him anything. You you don't owe him the starting job. Like, this is this is a business, and if Fields is going to be the best option for you, you push Andy Dalton aside. The other thing, too, is you look at the Bears' outlook. One of the hardest schedules in the NFL. Is it realistic to say that the Bears are going to get anything better than a sixth seed in the playoffs? Now, maybe they surprise me, but we're looking at a schedule where the Bears might lose a lot of games, and that's a reality we may have to face. I'm hoping it's not the case, but I'm also realistic here. This is a tough schedule this year. It's a tough week one matchup. So why not give him as many reps as possible? Why not have a guy 
who you know, you feel, and you have seen play well so far, give him a shot. Like we talk about this whole thing where it's going to mess up his development and that like, you know, we got to ease him into it. Why? He's a rookie quarterback and he's one of the best in his draft class and he's looked good. He looks better than Andy. And I understand Andy's a veteran, but at some point, like, give the kid a shot here. What are you playing for this year? Right? You you already invested into him at this point. Rookie quarterbacks never win the Super Bowl, statistically speaking. If fields can play and you can win some games this year, your window for success has reopened up, but you're not going to know that any differently if you play him week four versus week one. Like if Fields is going to be the guy, like get him in there at this point. You saw how he played on Saturday. Like that was an impressive display with the guys that he had work with. If nothing else, I hope this just allows him to continue to get more reps with the first team offense. I think if he plays well on Saturday, the competition is officially open. You have to at least consider it. Well, I look when it, it's it's frustrating because the Bears have kind of said four or five times this off season, and when I say the Bears, I mean Matt Nagy, Ryan Pace, and throw Andy Dalton into the ring. They've pretty much alluded to five times about how Andy's the starter going into week one. And Matt knows that the better Justin plays, the more and more pressure is going to mount for Matt to eventually start Justin Fields, whenever the case may be. Now, I saw one crazy take about how you should open up week one with Justin Fields and then let Andy Dalton take over in week two just to have that Cincinnati revenge game. And then... Go back to week three and have Justin Fields play. Now, that is not about to happen. But look, was Justin's performance encouraging on Saturday? Yes, because everything that Mitch Trubisky couldn't do in a regular season game, Justin Fields did in a preseason game. Mitch, and we'll get to Mitch in just a couple minutes here, but Mitch struggled at times to navigate the pocket and make plays or off-scheduled plays, right? Mitch just really struggled with that. He struggled with ball placement, accuracy, timing. And I hate to use comparisons, but let's just be honest. I mean, as long as Pace and Nagy are here, you know what? You're going to hear the name Mitch Trubisky consistently pop up because everyone's always going to go back to and talk about how Pace and Nagy could not figure out Mitch Trubisky, which then led to Justin Fields. Ultimately, I think when you look at it, right, you do have to start Justin at some point. I've been proponents for and against starting Justin week one. I've said, hey, let the mental side of the game slow down for him, which, by the way, the comment that he made that, you know, was blowing up on Twitter, kind of talking about how, oh, you know, it didn't really seem that fast to me. He was just alluding to the fact that when I do go against what is a Super Bowl caliber defense every single day in practice, what happens is that I'm in a position where this preseason game looks slow for me. But Justin also has to understand that you were playing in a preseason game, dude. So naturally, when guys aren't really giving their all into a tackle and you're not playing with the biggest, the fastest, strongest guys out there, they, the game may seem a bit slower to you. Granted, it's still faster than college, but it's still a bit slower than what you're really going to see during the season because preseason is very vanilla. I mean, preseason is all about just evaluating the roster from 1 to 90 and then 90 to 1 and vice versa and kind of getting an opportunity to see, hey, who's making this roster? Who's not making this roster? That's And who would would and wouldn't be a good depth piece. So the pressure's on for Matt Nagy, but he's just going to have to balance it because you know that the moment Andy Dalton messes up, they're going to be screaming for Justin. Everyone's already... Andy Dalton, let me just say this. Look, to rephrase it, Andy hasn't even messed up yet. 
but people are already screaming for Justin Fields. And Justin does bring a dangerous element to this offense that a lot of people do not realize, which his mobility made this offense significantly better. It's just something that we were missing. But ultimately, like I said, I mean, the pressure is going to be on Nagy, and it's on him now more than ever. And another thing I'll add, too, is um, what kind of put the nail on the coffin for me uh, with Andy Dalton not being the starter anymore, in my opinion, is how calm Justin Fields looked. Like, not even just in the fact how well he played after he kind of got warmed up. Every time he was in the pocket, on the move, feeling pressure on him, he looked so, he looked and he played so calm, kept his poise, and he never panicked. Like, he didn't take a single sack. Like, and again, that wasn't that wasn't a compliment to the offensive line. That was a compliment to Justin Fields, his ability to maneuver the pocket. He looked like a veteran out there while he was playing out of the pocket. He looked like a veteran anytime he like left the pocket on the run. I know he had one where I watched him run out of bounds after he rolled out. And I literally like I got flashbacks to Trubisky because I thought like, oh, he ran out of bounds for a four-yard loss. He had like a three-yard gain. And I was like, what? I, I was like, I was shocked. I was like, I haven't seen like a quarterback do this. Like it was, it was just awesome to see how calm and how calm he was and the poise he had in the pocket and he's ready. Like it's just, it just seems like he's ready. And again, it is preseason. It's hard not to overreact, but he's, he seems hundred percent ready to me. I mean, what a better test than to go up against some bills defense on Saturday, which is arguably a better defense than Miami. Listen, is Justin Fields going to make mistakes? Of course he's a rookie. There's growing pains. You saw it on Saturday. I believe it was his second possession. Threw a couple of really bad balls in the first two kind of downs of that play. And then in the third, you know, on third down, he threw a perfectly 50-50 ball to, I believe it was Rodney Adams. It might have been Chris uh, Lacey. I don't remember. But it was right in the right place. It was just good coverage. Like, one thing Fields does, and it's kind of repetitive that I say this because, like, a lot of people do this. But, like, when he makes a mistake... He bounces back from the mistakes really, really quickly. I think we saw it today in training camp, uh, Tuesday's training camp report, because obviously this will be out Wednesday. Bears offense was terrible. It was bad. Yeah, I don't think anyone could defend what the offense did today. But you know, one th- common thing that I've picked up on is every time Fields makes a mistake, he immediately bounces back the next play. And he did that today in training camp. He did that on Saturday. I never truly saw that in Mitch. And I don't want to compare the two because they are different quarterbacks. Matt Nagy brought that up in the press conference today. Like, they're different quarterbacks. There's no point in trying to make a comparison here. But unfortunately, it's the only other really thing that we can compare to here at this point. There's something about when Fields plays, when he does make a mistake, how quickly he does. It's this old, it's old football saying, like, you got to have amnesia. You got to forget the last play. Fields does that. And it's a weird thing to say, but like, that's, that's a, a boost of confidence and, and a nice breath of relief for me because like a lot of quarterbacks when they make those mistakes, it's, it's a mental game. And I think Fields is a strong mental fortitude. And like, I understand they want to do the Mahomes thing, but Patrick Mahomes, his rookie season, wasn't ready to be the Patrick Mahomes he is now. He needed that year under Andy Reid in the Kansas city offense that was very good. That made the playoffs that I believe won their division with a good Alex Smith. Alex Smith was playing very good football at that time. The bears don't necessarily have that same situation. Uh, Justin Fields, I think has more qualities now than like a Patrick Mahomes did when he was a rookie. I'm not comparing the two. I need to stop there for a second. I'm not comparing both of them because I don't know how good Justin Fields is going to be. It is preseason. It is very, you know, kind of what ifs is a lot of reserve guys playing, but 
I don't know, man. I don't know how you're going to convince fans that Andy Dalton is the starter if Justin Fields plays good on Saturday again and plays better. Okay, two things here. Number one, we have to keep something in mind is that that 2017 class, let's just be honest, it was Deshaun Watson, who was quarterback one for a lot of people. And forget all the allegations and stuff. I mean, Deshaun was QB one because he had gone to Clemson. He had basically went to two back-to-back national championship games, ended up winning one, and he just was he was the best player in college football for his time. Now, Patrick Mahomes was interesting because Patrick, as well as Mitch Trubisky, were both labeled coming out of UNC and Texas Tech as players that had all the talent in the world. It was just going to be a matter of whether they could really put it all together. Now, obviously, five sitting here five years later, we know it is a completely different story that Patrick probably would have been the consensus QB one over Deshaun Watson. But the reality is that let's just be real. Okay. Hindsight is always going to bring in additional context and we have to keep something. Let's let me keep this in mind when we're comparing the 2017 class to the 2021 class. I think people forget that Justin Fields was being hyped up as quarterback one B in this draft class since 2019. That's two years worth of hype surrounding, um, Justin Fields compared to Patrick Mahomes, who really did not have any significant amount of hype around him. I mean, there were scouts I remember that year talking about how, hey, look, I'd be scared to draft one of these quarterbacks in the first round simply because of who they are and, you know, how just raw these guys are as prospects. Now, every player coming into the NFL to some degree can be considered raw because there's something that they need to adjust to and stuff. But Justin was far and ahead, I think. The one of the top, he was a top three quarterback in the 2021 NFL draft. And you go back and you look at the 2020 draft, you look at the 2019 draft, you could even argue the 2018 draft. Nice glasses, Sam. They finally come on. I can actually see my reflection in your lens. But the point is this. Mm -hmm. The point is, is that if you go back and you look at the draft classes over the last couple of years, there's a legit case to be made that Justin's probably the most talented out of any of them. I mean, you could legitimately make that argument. I mean, the exception to the rule would probably be Joe Burrow, but again, Joe had real one. Joe Burrow had one really good year in college. Justin had two really good years, and I still think that Justin's production would have been much higher than what it was in 2020 had the Big Ten not started the season in late November. Yeah, and he he did not have nearly the type of weapons that Joe Burrow had at LSU. Like we we. People don't talk enough to get off get off track for a second here. People don't talk enough how stacked that team was. Like Joe Burrow, he didn't pad his stats. He just had the probably the greatest offensive team around him in probably arguably in history. He had like three first round wide receivers, if I remember correctly, if not two. An entire offensive line that got drafted, a first round running back, like he, and a great offensive coordinator. Like he was just absolutely loaded. Fields didn't have that luxury. Like he had he had a pretty solid offensive line. I believe his most of his line got drafted, but there wasn't no like absolute studs, like first-round picks. Uh, their wide receiver core was solid. Those two guys, um, I can't remember either of their name. I know Chris Chris Olave is one of them. I know he's projected to be a first-round pick next year, but the other guy isn't. I think he's a second or a third-rounder. A solid team overall, but they all are maturing later on. And to, to agree with your point, he was my number two quarterback in this class, and arguably, yeah, number two quarterback – Probably in the past like three years, arguably only Joe Burrow being better. Honestly, I mean, what set 
and I'll let you go in a moment here, Sam, but what set Joe over the edge, I'm sorry, what set Justin over the edge for me compared to a guy like a Zach Wilson or a Trey Lance is simply the competition. Because when we look at some of the best quarterbacks in the NFL today, they've all played at big college programs and they've performed big against the best college uh, teams, right? Like Justin's performance, you could argue this, that Justin's performance in the college football playoffs was one of the best we've seen. And he was the best player. Just forget the end result. Okay. Because Alabama is a very difficult team to go up against, but Justin's performance overall, you really saw he elevated the guys around him. And I'll keep going back to that big hit against Clemson. He takes a shot. to I think it was the hip slash rib area. And then all of a sudden he gets back in and without a doubt, what does he do? He throws a touchdown on the very next play. So the point is, is the fact that yeah, Justin had Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave. He had um, Jeremy Rucker, his tight end. But you know what? Joe Burrow also had two first-rounders like Joe alluded to in Jamar Chase along with Justin Jefferson. And then you had a third guy in Terrace Marshall Jr., the wide receiver, that a lot of people were seeing as a top-five wide receiver in the 2021 NFL draft that ultimately slipped out of the first round and then you also had a first round running back in um Clyde Edwards Hilaire so really Joe's cast was very loaded and what he does moving forward and since he's going to be one to monitor but there's no doubt in my mind that Justin certainly has a chip on his shoulder and the point is is that the chip isn't just because you see an extremely confident young college quarterback I'm sorry, a rookie quarterback a 22 year old that's coming in that is a physical freak of nature the confidence is there just because of how he handles himself the way he talks and walks the way he's always willing to listen to those around him put his head down and work and get better every single day and those are things that are going to pay off in the long run but go ahead sam the only thing i'm going to add is i was i was 100% in on justin fields in this draft class in that clemson game and what he did clemson last year was was unbelievable and like i'm sorry but like i don't know where all the zach wilson hype came from last year last you know last draft season like i hope zach wilson does well in new york i truly do but justin fields is quarterback too for me in this draft class obviously trevor lawrence i think is the number one quarterback in this draft class i think he's going to do well in in uh in jacksonville but but I'll be honest, man, like I, when Fields started plummeting in the draft stocks and stuff, I was sitting here scratching my head being like, why? This kid is unbelievable. He has so many good components about him in this league for this league. And and like, I'll never forget the night he was drafted to the Bears because it was an unreal moment. It was, it, I, to this, when I was sitting there Saturday, I'm sitting there watching him drive down the field and I go, oh my God, this is my quarterback. Like, that is a feeling I haven't had in a very long time as a Bears fan. And I just, like, to this day, I still am, like, sitting around. I'm like, Justin Fields is going to be one of the best quarterbacks in this draft class. And listen, I was I was under the impression he was so good he wasn't going to get picked by us. I was like, man, maybe we can trade up and get Trey Lance, or maybe Mac Jones will follow us. Or like, oh, Davis Mills round two. Like, why not? And, like, I, I just – Fields is unbelievable, man. And I think to this day, he's going to be the better quarterback in this draft class. And I think honestly, with his career arc compared to Trevor Lawrence and their situations in Jacksonville versus Chicago, you can definitely make the argument that Fields is going to be the best quarterback in this draft class. I'm hoping that's the case. It's obviously wishful thinking, but he's our quarterback. And that's something that to this day, I still can't get over. Yeah. And to your point about Zach Wilson, I was very high on him when I started watching all the highlights and stuff on Twitter. 
And then I got into this film, and he fell down my draft board because he was my quarterback too, and I was begging the Bears to trade up for him. And then once I got into his film, he actually was closer in my rankings, I believe, to Mac Jones than he was to Trey Lance, who was my QB3. I, I had kind of Lance and Fields kind of neck and neck, uh, pretty close to each other, but Fields was my outright QB2. Um, and to your point, just Zach Wilson, he doesn't do it for me. Like I, I, I've talked to a bunch of my buddies who are NFL draft guys, and the way I described it to them, I thought best, was that it was the Patrick Mahomes-like like a uh, comparison. Like he plays like Mahomes where he th- like makes those crazy throws on the runs. Like he's not crazy like mobile like some other quarterbacks, but he's mobile enough like Mahomes and he makes those crazy like sidearm throws like 80 yards effortlessly. Like and he does it against no competition so it looks a lot cooler. Like it just feels was my obvious. And like you like like with you, I I was looking at Davis Mills, Kellen Mond, all these guys in the second round, I thought no shot at fields. And I was sitting at like a party at my apartment and it was like the 10th pick. And I was like, ah, oh, whatever. Like I'm not even going to watch like whatever. And then the 11th pick came up and somebody like grabbed me. was like, dude, the bears are on the clock. And I was like, we're going to get Mac Jones. We're going to be stupid. We're going to draft Mac Jones. Like I know it's going to happen. And then I see, we take Justin Fields. I was like, it's over. Like we're going to win a Super Bowl now. Like this is our quarterback. We're going to have I'm a franchise quarterback for 15 years now. Like I couldn't believe it. I, I, and like you, I have no idea why he fell. Like it just blows my mind still that we got Justin Fields outside of the top ten picks of the draft. That just it's insane to me. Well, uh, that makes sense to me. Yeah, that makes sense to me why he dropped. See, I'm kind of disappointed that Sam was talking. He didn't get phased this time by my camel background that I decided to throw on. I'm a veteran at this. You said you can't get me like that. I actually, you know, decided to put it on when I saw Joe looking down because I was just like, let's see if Joe, um, you know, notices. But hey, listen, you know, we're going to wrap this thing up in a couple of minutes here. I will make one final point about all this. When you look at the entire situation, I mean, the it, it, what it boils down to is this ultimately is that everyone loves a good Cinderella story. That's just how American sports are. I mean, everyone loves the guy, the underdog that comes out of nowhere that no one's talking about and goes on to win the championship. This is kind of what Zach Wilson was in this scenario in the sense that going into the 2020 season, he was fighting for his life at BYU. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, what happens is, you know, and when I say fighting for his life, I mean fighting for the right to be a starting quarterback. There's a quarterback competition that's going on, and then boom, all of a sudden, he's in a situation where he just bursts onto the scene. And that's great because Zach does have franchise caliber potential. The Jets are investing in him because they took Mekhi Becton last year. They brought in Morgan Moses. They took advantage of the two first-round picks they had. In addition to taking Zach, they also brought in Elijah Vera Tucker along with wide receiver Elijah Moore. And so this is something right here that the Jets are trying to do things the right way for once. And if Zach succeeds, that's great. Now, I'm going to say this, though. If There's always going to be hindsight in the NFL on what is, but if Justin absolutely blows up the way a lot of Bears fans are hyping him up, along with all the national media, what's going to happen is there's going to be people that there's going to be people that are possibly fired for passing on Justin Fields. I mean, Justin Fields could get a hell of a lot of people fired. That's just the reality of the situation. And it's not just Pace and Nagy, by the way. And also, we have to keep this in mind is when you look at a lot of the national, I mean, not even, I shouldn't even say national media, it's because Dan Orlovsky and I do talk in the DMs from time to time. I mean, I'll say this much, you know, Dan gets a bad rep. For, he's a great person, first off, all right? Great analyst, even better person. He gets a bad rep 
from time to time for certain comments that he made, but he also kind of clarified it and was just like, Hey, this is stuff I reported that I had heard in the background. These aren't my own personal thoughts. And then Dan did some digging and was just like, okay, this is legitimately what I found out about Justin Fields. Now be thankful that those narratives were created because those narratives are the reason that Justin slipped to 11th overall. But before we get out of here, guys, and Joe, I'm going to start with you. Listen, Mitch Trubisky's back in town this week. Are the Bluebirds coming out at Soldier Field on Saturday? Oh, he's getting booed hard and i already know it like i as soon as i saw we were playing the bills and it was a home game and there was fans i went to my dad who has season tickets i said i'm going to this game i want to see the mitch trubisky versus justin fields game like it's just the the reports that are gonna come out about it the stories and i just i i'm so like i actually like i do believe he's gonna get booed but i'm so interested to see the overall overall reaction like i don't know if it's gonna be a collective boo I feel like there could be a few fights about it. Like I, I am so intrigued to see the crowd's reaction to Trubisky taking the field for the Bills. Like, and he's probably going to start the game because they're they're probably not going to play Josh Allen again. So for him, if they get the ball first and he's the first quarterback on the field, it's just gonna the storylines are just going to be absolutely unbelievable. And I'm so glad I get to be there to watch it again. This is what I'm wearing Saturday. The MVP, baby. I'm wearing this on Saturday. I am. I am. Listen, I, I know he's going to get booed. There's no way he's not. Like, I, I, I listen, your thoughts on Mitch as a person, as a quarterback, whatever, he's going to get booed. Like, that is going to happen. I definitely think there will be some people who will cheer for him. Um, uh, just because, like, that is just the Mitch truthers. They, they ride or die. Um, I actually th- hope some Buffalo fans come down, though. I mean, Bill's Mafia is pretty legit. I hope some fans come down. That'll be a lot of fun. Um, but I-, I hope he doesn't throw a pick. That's all I'm gonna say. If he throws a pick, he's the stadium's gonna lose it. I, I mean, he he might legitimately get booed out of Soldier Field if he does that, or cheered out of Jol- Soldier Field. So I hope he plays a safe game. Don't do anything stupid, Mitch. Just uh, for your own sake. But it's gonna be a lot of fun. I think. I think it's gonna be more fun than last week um especially because i think we'll, we'll hopefully see a little bit more of the starters too on a more serious note like i think that'll be fun uh i think Nagy also said that fields will get a majority of the reps so you know hopefully he won't hopefully he'll get in the first quarter i think that was the worst part of last saturday was waiting for him to get in and like seeing him hug andy dalton and everyone's like texting each other like oh shit oh shit he's putting his helmet on he's getting warmed up like he's getting in like come on like get get the offense out there like what are we doing and then DeAndre Houston Carson got that pick and, and everyone freaked out because like, oh my God, we're going on offense. But um, yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a fun game. God bless Mitch if he throws a pick. That's all I'm going to say. Listen, the last time I remember a quarterback getting booed by the entire stadium in a preseason game was in 2009 when Jay Cutler made his return to Denver just four months after being traded to the Bears. I mean, the Bears had the opening possession and Jay just got absolutely booed by everyone. There's actually people who showed up um, wearing Crybaby Cutler shirts. But Mitch, look, I don't... You know, I never loved Mitch. I never hated him either, but I will say this much. We got to keep something in mind, right? We have to keep in mind that, you know, you're going to spin it either way. Was it really Mitch's fault? Was it Nagy's fault? It was both guys' fault, okay? Because one guy couldn't, you know, get out of his own head. The other guy couldn't, you know, put the quarterback in a position to succeed. And great coaches and offensive gurus, well, they put 
even the most average and mediocre quarterbacks in a position to succeed. But just the Mitch Trubisky era is kind of closed in Chicago and he's coming back. You know, you do have to give him props for being a leader on this team and battling and wanting to get better as well as just embracing the city. But unfortunately, it didn't work out. And guess what? Mitch, you know, flaming out in Chicago as hard as he did is actually a blessing in disguise because it did lead to Matt Nagy kind of taking the reins in the evaluation process and then being able to um you know go ahead and draft justin Fields. so listen it's gonna be a fun saturday but that's gonna do it for us this weekend or this week guys listen i'll be back with max smith on youtube sometime this week breaking down um the bears versus bills game we're gonna preview that we'll have another episode out on saturday night or sunday morning just recapping the entire game before we get out of here though guys make sure you're following audacia sports all right check them out they're our sponsor you can follow fireside bears on twitter youtube facebook tiktok and instagram at fireside bears you can follow me on twitter youtube tiktok facebook and instagram at usain kosho follow sam and joe on twitter at shy sports sam and at joseph herf nfl we'll be back next week guys as always remember bear down stay safe justin fields is quarterback one and yeah um, don't be a terrible boo bird when Mitch Trubisky kind of takes the field. That's not me defending Mitch. I'm just saying, how would you like it if someone came to your job and booed you because you sucked at your job? You would hate it as well. So just be a decent human being. But peace out, guys. I'll see y'all next week.